Support for Another Round comes from August, a new kind of consulting company that helps organizations realize their potential to make a meaningful dent in the world. Interested in doing this work? Drop them a line today at www.og.co slash another round. That's A-U-G dot C-O slash another round. Hi, everyone. I'm Heaven. I'm Tracy. And welcome to Another Round with Heaven and Tracy. Ow! Ow! Yeah! Woo! Smooth jazz. <laughs> 105.1. I have no idea what that was. Welcome it's to the show. Beautiful is what that was. <laughs> Thank you, Tracy. You are welcome. So we had something scheduled to run today, but over the weekend, we got an email that changed the course of events. We got an email from friend of the show, Melissa Harris Perry, formerly of the Melissa Harris Perry show on MSNBC. And she said that she was ready to talk about her um, split from MSNBC, which has been very, uh, it's been been pretty heated. And uh, very public. And obviously we were like, yeah, we're not going to be like, no. So we were like, yeah. Because it was, it, I mean, I felt kind of special. I did. She was like, I want to talk to you, girl. And I was like, well. That was an incredible detailing of how we felt. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what's up today. And you might remember that we interviewed her in an earlier episode. So you should definitely check that out, too. Mm-hmm. But um, we're going to try to get every every ounce, every sip of the tea today on this whole thing. Word. So without further ado, we are very, very happy to welcome to the show, welcome back to the show, Melissa Harris-Perry. She is currently a professor at Wake Forest University, where she runs the Anna Judah Cooper Center, and we are so honored that you are here with us today. Thanks for having me back. How's it going? Well, I don't, I mean, it wasn't that long after being with you all that it all ended, so I'm assuming it was you, so. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. No, I'm just kidding. It's good to be here. I feel like we need to do some background for people who might not know all that's been happening. Um, You wrote a letter to your staff at Nerdland, which front of the show Jameel Smith published in Medium, where you say that, quote, here's the reality. Our show was taken without comment or discussion or notice in the midst of an election season. For the people who have not been following the nitty gritty of this, can you give us your general timeline of events? Right. So let me back up a little bit to before, actually before we got to January of 2016. So um, MSNBC had undergone some programming changes and we knew we were going into an election year. Mm. Um, and we wondered what MHP show's role was going to be. And so I had been trying to have some conversations with the leadership there. And look, on a real like basic level, I don't live in New York. Uh, I live in North Carolina and I fly up to New York on the weekends uh, in order to to do the show. (laughs) I've been doing that for four years. Mm. And so I have an apartment here. And so like I I don't really know how to say this other than at the most basic level. I wanted to know whether or not I should renew the lease on my apartment. Mm. And my thing was, if you think that for any reason the show is not going to make it the whole year, let me know. I'll stay in hotels when I come because I don't want to be on the hook for an apartment for the whole year. And I Mm -hmm. really... Just couldn't get an answer from anybody. Um, and eventually, um, right as we got almost to the to the very start of the new year, got an answer that said, no, no, we, you know, we expect that um, MHP show was going to um, run the length of the contract, which wasn't quite the whole year, but would have been pretty close um, to, to all of so, so who told you this and how long would it have been? That was my um, executive producer at the time, mm. who apparently believed that he had had conversations with people at the top. No one's saying it directly to me. Okay. Um, and that uh, would have run till the end of October. But as soon as we got to January, I started seeing some changes. And the big changes I think any viewer could have seen, but it might have been a little bit hard because you might not have been looking for it. Mm-hmm. There are things that we call tagging or branding. So the way that you know or that you knew at every point before that you were watching Melissa Harris Perry show is that it was particular colors. So mm-hmm. um, it was a particular blue and brown. And it said Melissa Harris Perry on what we call the banners, right? So kind of along the top and the bottom. Um, we had a soundtrack, like a particular music that we would come into. Uh Um, And then if we had like graphics or we had video, they were all in what we would call our look, right? So that Mm -hmm. same color and those sounds and all of that. And if you go back and watch the shows in 2016, starting in about the second week of January, that all went away. And nobody told us anything. It just went. So So you were still doing the show and just the graphics were different? That's right. And initially we thought that this was because of the Iowa caucuses and the New Hampshire primaries. Um, And so I started asking questions about when MHP branding was going to come back. Mm -hmm. And I asked that question 
because um, we went missing, and this is a little bit of insider politics, but we went missing from a, a space we call our dome. Think of it as like a card catalog. So basically, um, anytime you want to go back and find um, something that uh, that you did on TV or that another host did on TV, um, you can go and look in the card catalog that belongs to the network by the date, the time, and the show, right? So mm-hmm. you can say, oh, something Melissa Harris-Perry did in you know January of 2014, and you can go and find find it. Melissa Harris Perry disappeared from our dome. Starting in 2016, we were just placed for politics 10 a.m. to noon. Did these changes happen with any other shows or was it just yours? No, basically with most of the shows. Okay. So like with the branding and everything mm-hmm. from, okay. All the weekend hours and all of the day side. So I want to be really clear. It wasn't that it was personal. In a lot of ways, it was very impersonal, mm-hmm. but we disappeared. We were gone. And so... It was real clear to me at that point that we actually did not have a show. Mm. I was still being allowed to host initially, but the show was gone. And then the next thing that happened was that I was no longer allowed to host. So first the show left, but I was still hosting. The second thing that happened was there was some messing around with editorial content. Mm -hmm. And then the third thing that happened was that I was no longer put on the schedule to host. What do you mean by messing around with editorial content? So we had always been given um, a kind of wonderful level of editorial freedom. You know, there's rules about what you can and can't say on TV, and there's guidance at any point. You know, these are the big stories of the week. We expect you to touch on them in Mm -hmm. some way. Um, But we also had always had things that we just kind of did. Uh, We talked about poverty. Uh, We talked about sexuality. We talked about sexual assault on campus. We talked about um, race. We talked about a lot of pop culture. Those were the things that we felt like made our show distinct. It was what made us a show. And we began to be told um, not to book guests on those topics, not to talk about those topics, and to talk exclusively about um, the election. Mm. The easiest example is what happened on the, what ended up being the very last show uh, that I hosted, which was Super Bowl Sunday. Every year that I had a show, Super Bowl Sunday, we always had uh, Nerdland Super Bowl Sunday. In fact, uh, in most of those years, I wore um, <laughs> shoulder pads and, uh, and a Nerdland jersey, and we talked a lot about the Super Bowl, kind of the way Nerdland does it. So, yeah, we did a little bit of sports, but we did a lot of race in sports, gender in sports, you know, um, NCAA cartel leading into the NFL. I mean, you know, this is kind of the way we we do things. Mm-hmm. Initially, we were told no more than an hour. Then we were told no more than half an hour. And then we were told kill the Super Bowl. Mm. And I said, not killing the Super Bowl on Super Bowl Sunday. Besides the fact that I, I thought that was actually like a bad ratings game. I mean, I don't even really look at the ratings, but I happen to know that it always performed well for us. But then the other thing that happened that night, of course, everybody knows, was Saturday night formation dropped. Mm-hmm. And National holiday. Sidebar, Melissa Harris Perry is wearing <laughs> the best T-shirt. An incredible T-shirt. Right <laughs> it says Beyonce surf team. It does. Graining on that one. It's beautiful. <laughs> that is all happening. <laughs> Carry <I> mean, on. <laughs> it dropped and it was about... Everything from race and Black Lives Matter and New Orleans, all things that have been central topics to MHP show. So, I mean, I think I put up a joke on Twitter that night and I was like, oh, we're trashing the whole show. You know, we're starting over. And I mean, I was joking. We weren't trashing the whole show. But obviously we started rewriting scripts. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the, like, what I like to call third floor people um, came in and said no. And, and it's, a third floor person is like a higher up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He said, unless you can make this somehow about the GOP primary, we're not going to have a conversation about Beyonce in formation tomorrow. And I said, yes, we are. We've been talking about Black Lives Matter. We've been talking about post-Katrina New Orleans. We've been talking, frankly, about Beyonce. We do it well. It is critical to who we are. Mm -hmm. And my God, Beyonce just dropped this on a Saturday night. We have a show tomorrow morning Nobody else will have touched this. This is like mm-hmm. a, I was like, this is like a, a gift from the TV God. Mm-hmm. Why would you not let us do this? Of course we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. And I was told no, 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 for an hour to the point where I finally said, you know what? Cool. It seems to me that what you want is not my show. If you want me to go on television and act like this isn't happening, mm-hmm. you must want an anchor, and I'm not an anchor. So I tell you what, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna pack. I'm gonna y'all get an anchor and we'll talk. And mm-hmm. I put my stuff in my bag and I started to walk out. 
somebody made a call to a higher, higher up, who at the time was on the ground in New Hampshire. And that person sort of said, okay, as long as they don't do more than uh, two segments, uh, they can do it. I never hosted again. What was the reason that the third floor guy gave you for not wanting you to do Beyonce coverage? Also, who is it? Oh, who was it who told us no? His name is Chris Pena. I, mean, I don't know if it means anything to anybody. He's like his job is he oversees weekend coverage. Yeah. I, I just mm-hmm. find the cable news world of decision making. I'd like it's so mm-hmm. I can't read it. It is a collective effort to make TV. Mm-hmm. And I sometimes have kind of wild and crazy ideas. And so some people say no. That doesn't seem like a good idea. And that's fine. Like, I want to be really clear. Mm -hmm. It should be collaborative. It should be collective. And you should check each other. And it shouldn't just be groupthink. And sometimes we made mistakes because we didn't, right? And so that's okay. But that's different than something that was clearly in our wheelhouse being told, simply being told by a higher up not to do. Is that like their new tagline, the place for politics? What is this direction they're going in? So I can't tell you the answer to that. And I can't tell you that it's wrong. It might be great. So I just want to be really clear about this, too, because I think this got a little lost in all the everything. People who are at the top of a organization that is governed by hierarchy have a right to change the direction of the organization. And so when Andy Lack came to MSNBC and made a decision to take MSNBC in a new direction, and that direction was place for politics, and it did not have room for Beyonce and Dave Zirin and a conversation on the Super Bowl, that is 100% fine. But it also needs to be made explicit, not only to me as a host, but to my team and to my viewers. And so what happened was that conversation happened internally. We went on, we did our show. And then I was not invited back to host. And then for two weeks, not only during my regular time slot, but at no point during those weeks. So, mm. for example, we went straight from there to New Hampshire, right? So the New Hampshire primary happens on a Tuesday. I wouldn't normally have been on air on a Tuesday, granted. But every host and correspondent and people who don't even have shows were, in fact, on the network on Tuesday. I was standing in the room on Tuesday while television was being made, and I was not invited on air. So no Tuesday is not my normal time slot, But this keeps getting described as like, a couple weeks were preempted. What is she so dramatic about? That's actually not what was happening. I was clearly 100% being told, you are not invited to be part of political coverage, which again, 100% fine. But rather than simply saying that, there was nothing. I was asking questions. I was sending emails. I was telling people. I'm st- I literally at one point was standing next to Yvette Miley, who was my vice president. I was standing next to her. Mm. And I said, hey, am I going to ever get on air? And she goes, mm, and kind of shrugs her shoulders. Mm. So then there two weeks go by. I'm not. Wait, can I pause you yes. for a sec? Well, how do they like tell you to not come back to do the show after you did the Beyonce thing? The Beyonce segment. So the next week, I'm I'm told that there's no MHP show. It's place for politics. And mm. those hours... So be they host- just said, like, your show's not on the, the That's right. schedule they said, they anymore? Said, they said it's place for politics. It'll, those hours will be hosted by someone else. Mm. Then the next week, it was place for politics. They were hosted by someone else. Um, there was also, at some point, I can't remember which one of those two weeks, there was the Scalia funeral. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had... But be clear, I had already been told I was not to be there. I wasn't going to be part of those hours. I wasn't going to be part of any of the daytime, evening, none of those hours at any point. Then I get an email from Dylan Byers at CNN. So FYI, I was being a little bit of a hard ass about it. Mm. So my response to people behaving badly was to go on my Twitter and take MSNBC hosts off my bio. Mm. I was being just a little like about it. Like I just, that was just right. my one little thing. I just wasn't going to do nothing else. But so I just was like, yeah, I just was, ir- I was like, really? Y'all ain't going to put me on air? Mm-hmm. I'm going to take it off. No, here's what I did not know. Mm. There's apparently like a little um, algorithm mm. and people can see when you change your Twitter mm-hmm. bio. I had maybe not known that. <laughs> <laughs> I had one of those moments where you like go on, you like had a fight and you're like, it's mm. complicated. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> when he sees it, he's going to be mad. Yeah, right. <laughs> I didn't quite, but whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, I just, I just figured what difference does it make? Well, so Dylan Byers was doing his job because his job is to report on the media. Uh-huh. And apparently... 
he got the little like MHP has changed her uh-huh. Twitter bio. So he sent sent an email talking about I see you haven't really been on the TV and you know MSNBC host has gone from your bio. I guess you're moving on. And so my response was just uh there's a face being made in the studio that you can't see. That's right. So I just <laughs> said nothing. Uh-huh. Um so I said nothing for like a day and a half and then I get another email from Dylan that says, "Hey, I just talked to MSNBC. They said everything is fine." Mm. Did he give you a quote or just a general? No, he just said, they said, everything is fine. Hmm. So I still just said nothing. Because I was like, well, that's interesting because they won't answer my emails. But, right. <laughs> but they answered Dylan's. Three or four days later, the grid for the weekend comes out and my name is on it. Mm. So after Dylan asked, my name was on it. So I thought, oh, this is interesting. Obviously, my name and the name of the show were the same thing. All right. So I asked for clarification. I called my executive producer and I said, my name is on the grid. Are we doing Melissa Harris Perry's show or am I just anchoring 10 to noon? And he said, you're just anchoring 10 to noon. Mm. I said, how long is there going to be no Melissa Harris Perry show? Are we going to be able to come back after Super Tuesday? Right? Because that was just going to be another couple of weeks. And I was told at that point for the foreseeable future, there is no Melissa Harris Perry show. You will be put in as a host when needed. Mm. And again, that is coming from my EP at that point. Still haven't had a conversation with anyone. Mm-hmm. That was when I sent the message to my team. Because at that point, my team was excited. They'd seen my name on the list. They'd go, oh, thank God. Yeah. It's over. We're, we're going back. Here we go. Yeah, let's let's talk about like your team through all this and their reaction. So like what was like the general conversation going on within your team when like your signage is being taken away and everybody's starting to notice like, okay, we haven't been on the show in a while. This is one thing I cannot talk about because they're all still inside. Mm. So everyone on the mm-hmm. team still works there. Mm-hmm. And they all got bills to pay. Yeah. Except for my EP, who I feel like is a grown-ass man, so he's going to have to take his lumps one way or another. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say anything about what any other team members said, did, or otherwise. Yeah. What I can say is I don't believe that that letter leaked from any member of my team. I sent that letter to my team, but I also copied it to Yvette Miley and to Phil Griffin mm. um, because it because – MSNBC has been a very um, leaky place. And because it's been a place where people have not been very loyal, I didn't want to send that letter to my team and not have our bosses see it. I didn't want people to feel like, oh, my God, this letter exists and mm-hmm. our bosses haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. Somebody might have printed it out and left it by a printer, right? Or or Phil Griffin could have called up Mediate, as he clearly did on Friday. Mm. So, What do you mean? On Friday of this week... Phil Griffin clearly called Mediate and told them that I had a job with, uh, that I had signed a deal with um, Fusion. Fusion. But what does he stand to gain from doing that? I think uh, the goal is to make it look like I wanted to sever my relationship with MSNBC in order to potentially pursue new opportunities. And so if I had signed a deal within two weeks, it would look like I had purposely wanted to sever my relationship. And Mm. I absolutely did not. Mm. What makes you so certain that it was him? The person who wrote the um, piece is a guy who um, Phil has lunch with on a basically on a weekly basis. Mm. Um, And the story was quite wrong. Look, I think Fusion is kind of an interesting place. Uh, It's it's quirky. It's got its problems and challenges. Mm. There's no doubt about it. But I actually think it's kind of a... I think it's kind of a fun place, um, and I wouldn't hate it if I did have uh, an offer from Fusion. And I've had conversations with lots of different people about lots of different things. Sure. But the idea that I was anywhere close to signing is like is so bizarrely overstated, so way off base. Mm-hmm. And then when I when I took to Twitter and I said basically LOL Mediaite on this. <laughs> They came back and said, oh, no, we've confirmed that it was former members of MHP's team. So they doubled down. Once they said that, once I knew that it hadn't come from Fusion, Mm. but instead had come from inside MSNBC, then I knew immediately what had happened, right? So I I know exactly what the track of that conversation was. I know how it got wrong. I know how it went from, like, I've had an initial conversation that I'm excited about to 
MHP is about to sign a deal or as they initially reported it already had signed a deal and was about to launch a show. The LOL was like, wow, Mediaite, like, Mm. could you be more wrong? But their their willingness to double down and be so certain about it has to do with their sense of assurance about what that leak was. Hmm. And that's Phil. Mm. So I don't really know where the initial letter leaked from. Mm -hmm. What I do know is that once it did, once parts of it were in the New York Times, I wanted all of it out. And so that's when I sent it to Jamil. You know, he was the original nerd of Nerdland. Mm -hmm. I sent it to him and I said, hey, there are parts of this in the New York Times. They're probably pretty inflammatory. Um, You know, people are going to read it and think that I was saying one kind of thing. I just want people to be able to read the whole thing. I'm going to hand it to you because I trust you to put it in wherever you think the right place is. And he put it on Mm -hmm. Medium. Mm -hmm. One thing that I know about being a black person working in white media is that once an issue bubbles to the surface, race-related or otherwise, especially if it's Mm race-related, that little bitty bit that we're hearing about, once it hits the headlines, it's just like the tip of the iceberg for what else is usually going on behind the surface. Is this kind of the straw that broke the camel's back? And what what has it been like to work at MSNBC? Like from day one to the last day like what what is it like to work there as a as a person of color you know it's funny it is not the worst place I have worked it just isn't not by any stretch of the imagination I have to tell you Tracy when I wrote that email to my team it was more than anything an apology to them that we were looking at another week two weeks three weeks month six months of them having to write tv that I know they hate to write mm-hmm. Most of the members of my team came with real commitments to the political, social, intellectual questions that we were interested in working on. And so me making a decision not to sit in that weekend was me saying, look, in part because I believe that even if I came back, we were still going to be doing Donald Trump is up by blah, 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 blah. (laughs) And I just, I wasn't going to say those words out of my face. Mm -hmm. It was, we weren't like at a straw that broke the camel's back. Mo- I wasn't like, I'm out. Mm-hmm. I, I was much more like, look, I, I'm not going to do that, right? So mm-hmm. Andy wants me to do this. I ain't going to do that. So he's going to have to decide to either let me do the thing I want to do or, but I, I wasn't done. I, mm-hmm. I I really wanted to go through this election. Yeah. There were there are things about working at MS, sure. But again, it's actually not the worst place that I've worked. Part of it is I come in on Friday night and I am there Saturday and Sunday. Mm-hmm. And so, and I mostly just live in Nerdland mm-hmm. with a team full of mostly lovely, young, black and brown women who are mostly feminist and like identified around all the questions that we're concerned with. And so my world is pretty great. Whenever things went bad and I became the subject of public controversy, um, MS never, as a company, no, one time they did, very early on, were supportive and helpful. Um, every time after that, that there was any kind of controversy on the show, it was completely clear that the priority was to protect MS and MS's reputation. There was never much of any concern about um, the personal costs, mm. emotionally, fiscally, Sometimes, like, literally in terms of safety. So to the extent that there was a straw that broke the camel on this one, you know, there was a very scary encounter in Iowa. So what happened? So um, I was in Iowa for the caucuses, and in part because MSNBC um, wouldn't give me a press pass while we were there. I wasn't behind the MSNBC security barriers. I was Hmm. just sitting out in the hotel lobby. They didn't give you a press pass? No, ma'am. So I was there and I was covering the caucuses with my 22 kids from the Wake the Vote program, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm traveling with these 22 kids. They're Democrats, they're Republicans, they're liberal, they're conservative. I assigned them to work for candidates across ideology. So you draw from a hat. So you could be a liberal working for Trump or a you know conservative working for Hillary on any given weekend, right? So mm-hmm. we were there um, and I was waiting for them to come back from their caucuses. Um, so we were sitting in the lobby, um, and I was sitting there with a couple of my um, other staff members. And a man approached me. I'd been meeting people all day, as you do at the caucuses. Um, he came up to me and started talking. And at first, I thought that we'd maybe met before, 
But then he became aggressive. And then he said something that I wasn't quite sure if I was meant to take as a threat or not. But he started speaking more loudly. And he said, I want you to understand why I'm doing this. Mm. I didn't know what he meant by the this. Like, what was the this that was that was about? And I just froze. Um I wrote I wrote about this because we we all have to write blogs after um after mm-hmm. all of our um trips. Um but then I heard the students starting to come back. Um I kind of clicked back in. I jumped up, I kind of moved, put space between me and him. One of my staff members came and put herself between me and him. We did some yelling. He went out the hotel lobby and was gone. Mm. But it was scary. scary. It was scary, it was upsetting. Mm. The biggest issue is I was then going to New Hampshire the next weekend, and I still had these 22 kids with me. And so then I wrote about the story, and then it went a little mini viral. A lot of people had very strong reactions to it. Now, imagine you're a parent, and you know that your kid is traveling with MHP, and you've just read this story. Mm-hmm. Think of how you might feel, right? Reasonably. You might go, whoa, what are you going to do to make sure things are better the next time, right? So just... FYI, Wake Forest immediately jumps to a variety of things. They come, they do a training with the kids. They come over to my office space there. They put some card readers on it. They send, I mean, they're like, okay, hey, we have a security breach here. Let's let's address mm-hmm. whatever it might be. Let's just start thinking strategically about it. The response from MSNBC was, if you're not traveling with us, if we haven't asked you to come as an anchor, then your security is not our problem. Wow. And so I said, well, I've got 22 kids traveling with me. I want to be able to watch the returns in a place that I know I can just say to their parents, we're going to be safe. And they said, um, no, absolutely not. We can't have all them damn kids up here. You have to go find another place to be. Hmm. So we watched it in a, in a bar across the street. It's not their responsibility. It's not their job. But really, nobody wants to harm me because I'm a college professor. Mm -hmm. The reason somebody wanted to harm me, the reason that people send hate mail to me, the reason that I don't read my Twitter at replies for four years is because I work for MSNBC. Mm. You know, the reason my kid puts up with stuff at school, the reason my husband deals with hate. I mean, that actually is because of y'all. And Mm. so I'm just asking on this one day, could I be able to tell the parents of my kids that I know for certain that will be behind the security perimeter because, you know, I've worked here for four years. Mm-hmm. And they, their response was no. And, and I have to say that that level of contempt from them towards me, which I don't particularly think was racialized, I just literally think they just simply did not care, was extremely painful and very hard to take. Mm. I didn't stomp off and quit. I didn't. It wasn't like the straw that broke the camel's back in that sense, but it certainly was very revealing that I was in a, I was working for people who truly did not care about me. Do you feel like MSNBC's um, tendency to not be so supportive of its hosts and anchors when like some shit goes down is like par for the course? Or do you feel like it was like, because it was you, they wouldn't come and like surround you? Par for the course. Mm. 100% par for the course. It does not feel personal. My experience of this is not being targeted. I don't feel, I mean, a little bit of targeting now, but that's because I'm talking, mm-hmm. right? And so we're, it's going to be personal now, but yeah. I'm inviting that, mm-hmm. right? Um, that, that's that's my, my fault because I invited it by saying I'm going to speak. Mm-hmm. Our colleague, Joel Anderson, tweeted something that really resonated with me at this time. He said, we all know we're expendable, but if Melissa Harris-Perry is expendable, then we're really all expendable. Mm-hmm. I think it's very sweet of Joel to say. Um, I didn't know that anybody thought that way about the show uh, quite that fully until this happened. So I thought what we were doing at Nerdland mattered. But I also recognize that ego is a real thing. And so maybe you can think you are doing something real special and actually mm-hmm. you're not. <laughs> you're just like doing whatever. And actually no one would particularly notice it if it left. Mm. I thought what we were doing mattered. And like to have people really articulate it, oh, wow, that has been, you know, I'd almost go through it again. I mean, I wouldn't want to, but (laughs) I'd almost go through it again just because um, to have people articulate that what we were doing mattered. I mean, I wish somehow it could have been different than this. I wish that MS's response 
had been to get that email and be like, oh, that is whack. You actually do have a PhD in political science. Oh, God. <laughs> that is totally ridiculous. You totally wrote a whole book about this. Oh, you didn't have Nerdland back, girl. Like, I, you know, I don't know. That's, I, you know, in my magical thinking dreams, what happens is Phil gets that email from me on that Monday or Tuesday and is like, oh, yeah, that's right. When you and I met, you were a tenured professor at Princeton. And, of course, you can speak on the election. And we will be happy to welcome you and the nerds back to 10 to noon. Here's your lovely teal blue set back. Here we go. Um, and it would have been a little blip um, that happened. And, you know, instead they severed ties and we went forward. It, it seems like a lot is coming up for you right now. Yeah. It's and I, hard. I don't know how to ask. It feels like you're holding back a little. Mm -hmm. What's like, what's weighing on your spirit? Oh, I mean, it sucks. <laughs> like, mm. I knew it would always be over. Mm. In fact, um, my team used to hate it because I've always said it's my side hustle. Mm. You know, my real job is being a college professor. So my team used to hate that because it's their real job. And they gave so much to it. Like, I know most people have no idea how TV is made. But we're talking about people who came in at 10 a.m. On, on Wednesday mornings is when we started our making our shows. And we would work from 10 a.m. on Wednesday mornings, and they would be there sometimes till 8 on Wednesday night, and then back again 10 o'clock Thursday until 8 o'clock Thursday night. And then Friday, sometimes one of my producers in particular, she'd be there, like, Trace could be there at midnight on a Friday night putting it together, and then mm. again on Saturday night. And by the time we would leave on Sunday, it was kind of a joke that we had, because everybody would always make plans on Sunday, like brunch plan. Nobody could walk. Like, we'd just be, <laughs> everyone was just dead on Sundays because mm. we would just give it all. And we were not perfect, and I could barely pronounce half the names of my guests, and sometimes we did weird segments that fell flat, And but God, people worked so hard for it and I just thought I thought we had one more year so I knew it would be over I knew it wasn't everything I knew TV was always limited but I thought we had one more year I thought we'd make it to the election we had some guests we still really wanted to get on there was unfinished business and it was just over like boom uh, how's your team holding up throughout this do you find them to be supportive of you and your decision? Are they upset with you? I, I think so, probably some of that. Yeah. Mm. I mean, probably all of that. People are human. I mean, some people are probably pissed. Mm. Some people are probably just like, why couldn't you just, why couldn't you just do your job and, and do whatever was necessary and hold on? Because, you know, some people are extremely patient. Like, you know, on a team of mm. 12 people, lots of different personalities. Um, so some of my team members are like Job. They're just like patient and just, calm and quiet and just go wait and probably would have just held out to see if by June we got tired of place for politics and brought back the show um, mm -hmm. and figured, you know, what's the harm in a little yucking it up with Brian Williams between now and then? <laughs> um, you know, I, I that's just it's not the chick I am. I just can't. I'm, you know, I'm old. I'm, I'm 42. I'm old as compared to them. And so for me, I, I just don't make apologies for who I am. In my 20s, actually, I might have either apologized for being fast to make my decision or I might have felt really bad about it in some way. But, like, that's the chick I am. I've mm -hmm. always been real clear at this point about what my priorities are. I try to be real honest with them about what my priorities were. And that's what that's what that letter was. That My letter was me trying to say, I'm so sorry, y'all. I know that I know not everybody is going to be down with this. But this is why I was just trying to communicate to them. This this is why, even though my name's on the list, I'm not going to be on air this weekend. So I'm still kind of trying to understand what's happening at MSNBC. <laughs> right now, they are responding to the response to us being off air. They hired somebody named Shaquille. <laughs> Hold on. Hold on. Not kidding. Pause. <laughs> Tell me everything. <laughs> not kidding. They said we're going to get the blackest. <laughs> Because so many of my um, like former Nerland guests, you know, started emailing like, oh, you know, yo, I haven't gotten a call since like 
you know, November, since like 2015, since whenever. And I'm all of a sudden I'm getting calls. And, mm. you know, is it OK with you if I go? Hell yeah, it's OK if you go on. Please go on. Mm. Um, so they're reaching back out to your guests to book them again. Interesting. Interesting mm. little Rolodex you've acquired. <laughs> oh, yes. So a whole bunch of things happened. So we trended that night for like six hours or something. And then Congressman Gutierrez got on the House floor with a little sign that said, hashtag MSNBC so white. <gasps> wow. Oh, Congressman Gutierrez is just mm. everything. <laughs> so appreciative. And I think he may be... Uh, a little bit had reminded them that when Comcast acquired NBC Universal, mm-hmm. that part of that deal, which was approved by Congress, included uh, a memorandum of understanding about diversity. Hmm. So the disappearance of MHP show and of choosing not to bring back Alex Wagner and Jose Diaz Ballard not being on air might represent a violation of the Comcast Universal deal. Hmm. Mm. So right now, MSNBC is not looking half bad. Mm. And I'd bet that you're going to see more commentators and guests, maybe even hosts, maybe even a weekend show Mm. with people of color. Hmm. If they asked you back to pick your show back up, would you do it? No. Mm. So part of this is that MSNBC is kind of, they treat everyone the same with the same level of distance. Mm Mm-mm. Or what were you saying they, about... They treat many people that way. And then there are a few special people. Okay. But yes. But but I would say many people are treated that way and that it is not exclusively a question of hosts of color. Okay. So, so that's yeah. what I'm trying to isolate is the... Because in your letter, you said, I'm not a token mammy or little brown bobblehead. Mm-hmm. That's very racialized. <laughs> well, that's because I'm black. I think the outcry that they were concerned about was a racialized one. Mm-hmm. and And I think this is the... Thing that is irritating to me consistently about MS's response to this when they keep saying we no everything was fine mm-hmm. I think it's both true and not true I don't think MSNBC had any intention of firing me and I think it's pretty clear that if I had been willing to be an interchangeable anchor willing to go on at any given hour and talk about whatever they wanted that I could have kept my job I was not willing to do that. So when I talk about being a little brown bobblehead, that's what that role is. Hmm. I am brown and have a big head. So that's why, (laughs) that's what that is. When I'm talking about being a mammy, that's a very specific thing that I'm talking about. For me, what a mammy is, what historically a mammy is conceived to be, the mammy is the worker in the household who cares more about the master's family than about her own. Mm -hmm. She's the one who leaves her family behind in order to make sure that his family is dealt with, that his uh, wife and kids and household are clean and in perfect order, that all things are right there and is not worried about her own. What I understood Andy Lack and Phil Griffin and the leadership at MSNBC to be asking me to do was to appear on air in my time slot and therefore confuse Nerdland watchers Mm. so that they thought that we still had a show. Even though I could no longer bring them the content, which we have seen in their response to our cancellation, they were telling me was important. I don't think I am what people thought was so important. I think, you know, most local... Anchors are pretty brown girls. Mm. What I understand people to be saying was important about MHP show was what we were doing. And what I was being told to do was to leave my family behind, to leave MHP show, to leave Nerdland, and to appear on air in order to make Andy Lack's house look in order. Mm. That I was not willing to do, and I'm still not willing to do it. Now... Was I willing to be on Andy Lack's network in order with my show, even if it had been a bit of an island? Yep. Because I don't have to control everybody's everything. Mm -hmm. If I can just, if I have my space, we were going to do it. But that space had been gone. It was taken and he wasn't offering, no one was offering that back. So the argument here is one where we keep talking past each other, where they keep saying, everything was fine. No, I wasn't asking for my job. I wasn't asking for, can I be here? I was asking for Nerdland. 
And that was something that was clearly not on the table. They weren't letting us have it. Do you see a future for yourself in cable news or a future for cable news? (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) I feel like I'm in the middle of a really painful divorce and you're asking me if I'm going to get married again. Mm. I, I don't think so. You know, cable news will go on for a while. There's a lot of money in it and people still turn to it in an election year. And so, you know... But is it is it on a secular death trend? Sure, yeah. All of cable is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my kid doesn't know what time any television show comes on because she gets all of it on demand in a variety of, right. you know, pods. But, like, in the short term, will cable live? Sure, there's infrastructure that will create that. You know, by the time it's gone, I will have already aged out. I'm a woman, so I'm, I'm almost done um, mm. being allowed to be in front of a camera anyway. Ouch. Well, that's... You know, Ooh, it's a painful reality. That's just that's Jeez. just what's real. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the one good thing about this whole thing is I have been hungry for four years, and so I might just start having a sandwich and try to get a radio show. Mm. So, <laughs> um, what I have found is that television is very powerful. But I, yeah, I'm not looking to be on TV again in any kind of regular way right away. The number one thing that television killed for me was writing. I used to write all the time. Um, and I have two books in the works that have been just languishing. And I got to earn a living somehow. Um, so beyond my professorial job, I'll I'll need to do some other kind of work. Um, and I would love to have some kind of platform that allows me to bring and convene all those voices that I cared so much about in Nerdland. But on cable TV, I don't really want to go work for somebody again right now. It seems mm. like a lot. Yeah. Have you heard of podcasting? <laughs> no, right. yeah, the, yeah, podcasting seems fun. You it's know, when you get to drink. Look at us. Yeah, ball. I know, right? <laughs> I, I think I think for me, writing is the like at the moment the number one thing I lo- I'd love to be doing right now is writing. So, mm-hmm. so I feel like election time is when cable news is most relevant. Yes. How do you see the like direction MSNBC is going? I did have a little bit of a heart attack on um, was it Friday night? Was when the Chicago um, protesters shut down the Trump rally, it was the first time that I didn't just um, miss my team, like, in a general way, mm-hmm. but had an actual, like, I had some wine that night because mm-hmm. I was pissed that I didn't have a show on Saturday morning because Oh, man, I just I was raging to my husband. I was like, do you know what we would have done with this? Like, what do you think your show would have brought that MSNBC doesn't have? Oh, we would have done the history of protest in Chicago. Like, in fact, I started doing it on Twitter and then I just had to stop. I just stopped and went and drank. So Mm -hmm. because my immediate response to it was to go write an A block. Right. So Mm -hmm. my first thought was, oh, my God, we have to go back to the 1919 race riot. And we have to start with how that happened, what it was, who died in it. And then we got to come up to the 1968 um, DNC convention and sort of what the police response is there. And the fact that's actually Democrats where it happens and sort of um, the whole language about protesters as violent. And then we've got to, then we have to come to this moment with the Trump rally. And then we have to sort of peel apart the whole language of violence because this is like the mistake that's been made kind of from Ferguson forward is the the idea that property crime equals violence and this Hmm. confusion about what constitutes violence and um, who's actually threatened and whose bodies are constantly under surveillance and under threat of violence and what does it mean to be young and black and living on the south side of Chicago and what does the the threat of violence look like there and how is Rahm Emanuel part of it? Like I just had a whole thing was just drawing itself in my head but then also what's been nice is that over all these years something like that starts to form up but then I didn't have to do it alone so something like that would happen and then I would get on the phone or I'd be sitting there and I'd go in and I'd sit down on the couch in the producer's room and I'd start a dialogue and then like you know Tracy or Rachel or me or and we'd start doing it together mm. and then they would have offered something and then we would have had some kind of beautiful wonderful thing and we would have called Khalil and we'd have called Jelani and we'd have called Salamisha and then this thing would have happened on TV mm. and it would just been great <laughs> and then that didn't happen what mm. do you make of their trump coverage i i mean i don't watch i mean i haven't i haven't watched the network since i i mean mm. again 
divorce. You don't drive past his house. That's yeah. the same way. You don't, you don't look through his Instagram right away. You yeah, need no. some, some healing time. <laughs> you need a minute. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I, I think that Joy has been doing a lot of my hours. So, mm-hmm. You know, and I, the one thing I will say is I trust and love Joy deeply. Thank God. Mm-hmm. And she's good to my team. Joy at least treats what we do um, with respect. But mm-hmm. As a matter of example, the weekend that everything was blowing up and Joy was sitting in my chair, wasn't, I guess it wasn't my chair. She was sitting in the chair at that point. You know, she did an interview because it was the Oscars weekend. She did an interview with Ava DuVernier, who just mentioned my name. Mm. She said something like, um, we're, we're in Flint doing the Flint um, uh, concert um, because we, we have to hear from voices that are often unheard, which is, you know, kind of what Melissa's show does. Mm. And they pulled the interview and they didn't play it. And Ava tweeted it because mm. like, Ava didn't know. <laughs> so yeah. they had pre-taped it. So Ava tweeted. She was like, yo, um, did y'all pull my interview? Mm. And then MS's response, oh, no. And then they played it at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Mm. You tweeted about your former colleagues um, like Martin Bashir and Touré yeah. and said, I'm sorry for and ashamed of my earlier silence. I gave into culture of fear at MSNBC. Yep. What do you mean by that? So, like I was just pointing out about the Ava DuVernay, when someone's gone, you're never supposed to say their name again. Like, they never existed. Is this an unspoken rule, or is this, like, in, like, welcome to MSNBC? Ava's interview. Mm. How else does the culture of fear manifest itself there? You know, you have to sign a non-disclosure when you leave, if you want a severance, if you want to pay out. Um, and I just, I wouldn't. So no one ever talks about it later, because... Because you sign away your ability to talk about it. Yeah, I do think when people don't sign these non-disclosure things, it's very empowering to everyone else. For example, uh, there was that engineer at Twitter who also did not sign mm. a non-disclosure. And he was saying all these frustrations he had about the lack of diversity and upper management. I'm not sure if it necessarily always leads to more people speaking out, mm-hmm. especially because there's money involved. But I felt empowered. I felt heard. Mm. Because what Joel was saying, basically, about feeling expendable. I presume mostly I appear to be challenging and unpredictable. Um, But I'm a feminist, so I'm down. Like, I just really want a T-shirt or a tattoo that says challenging and unpredictable. You should do that. That would be a great tattoo. Hell yes. That would be the title of my next book. Like, only challenging and unpredictable chicks make history books. Um, Let me just be really clear. The reason I wouldn't sign the NDA wasn't because I wanted to talk about MS. (laughs) I wouldn't sign it because I'm an academic. Even in my very first book, before I ever even thought about a TV show, I wrote about race in the media. The word BET is in my first book, (laughs) right? It's Barbershops, Bibles, and BET. It's what I write about. I could not have an agreement that disclosed, I mean, that, that, um, that closed off the possibility that I could write about anything ever. So I I wasn't leaving mad. I was leaving hurt, sure, because I wanted my show to go on. But I wasn't mad, and I wasn't even particularly interested in saying Yvette's name or Phil's name or any. Like, I really, literally wasn't. It was just next. So I went to the bargaining table with them with, look, we can talk about whatever, but I'm not that mad. I really just, we're going to go out. But the main thing is I'm just, I'm not going to sign the non-disclosure, I'm not going to sign the non-disparagement, I'm not going to sign any of that because the one thing I have to be able to do is write and speak on it so we can talk about anything else you want to talk about, but that's the one thing I can't. Mm. And they just came at me. And then they came at me publicly, and then they called me, na- and then they tried to play me like I was crazy. And Wait, then they- what do you mean? What, how did they come at you? Well, so so then they just were like, well, then you can't have this, you can't have this. And let's just be clear. I mean, I made more money than I've ever made in my life because I never made very much money because I'm a working class girl and an academic. And so for me, never made much money. But compared to what many people make and make there, I make very little. Mm -hmm. And so I asked for some very simple things. So when they decided to both fight in a really nasty way Mm. about very tiny dollars tiny to them that are really huge to me. And when they went into the press in ways that were quite clearly dishonest, rather than just saying, hey, severing, it's all good. At that point, I was like, oh, not only 
do you want to end the show? You also want to make it impossible for me to work anywhere else. It's in your interest now to disparage me. It doesn't make me dishonest in anything I'm saying. It does make me probably talk about things I wouldn't have otherwise talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I noticed you tweeted like right at 5 p.m. when the <laughs> when you are legally allowed to. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was an incredible tweet storm. I think yes. a lot of people have dreamed of going out in a blaze of glory like that, where mm-hmm. you're just like, oh, here's Angela Bassett setting fire to a car. <laughs> That's how I feel. Um, would you have done anything differently? I mean, I'd have done lots of things differently, um, but they were all about the show, not about the leaving. I think I said this last time I was here, I've never watched the show. Um, And so one of the things I've been doing lately is watching it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm like, oh, my God, I would totally have done this differently or that differently. I'd have written this segment differently. So it's a little bit like, um, you know, deadlines focus us. So if I had known we only had just these four years um, I might have made some different choices if I'd have realized how just how short life of the show was. But I'd have sent that email because I believed it. In the end, yeah, I would have put Phil and Vet and Andy Lack on blast about their choices because I felt like they tried to um, disparage my character, which I think was um, unfair mm-hmm. and dishonest. I think I would still say every day that hosting that show for four years was an incredible 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 honor and like like just the craziest thing that ever happened in my life that I never thought would happen and like I still like I look at my two-year-old and I think man she will not she will not believe that her mommy had a tv like my 14 year old will be like yeah no really she had a tv show but like (laughs) it was incredible that any of that ever happened this whole process sounds incredibly draining stressful Mm. um I can't even really imagine especially with such a public Attack of character, I guess, or a a public uh, discussion of character, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> as they might say. Yeah. How do you take care of yourself? I mean, not well right now. Like it's you know it. We are in the, we are in the middle of it. Like it's mm-hmm. a woo. It is bad right now, um, and I recognize that and know that you know on the other side of it will be better. Like you know, my poor husband. He just takes all the all the crazy from Melissa because. <laughs> I just was yelling at him and he's like, you know, I'm not, I'm just, I'm just like sitting here. Right. Mm. Um, but, but he loves me unconditionally. So I, you know, I can yell at him. He won't fire me. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, at the moment, like not well, like, you know, not eating right, staying up way too late, drinking coffee. Thank God I don't smoke. Um, I beat my garden's ass this weekend. Like <laughs> me and my garden got together, um, uh, which was good because the, the weather was good. Are you angry? Oh, some days, yeah. Mostly I'm hurt. But yes, there are moments when I'm angry. There's moments when I'm confused. Like, I, I I woke up the other day and I said to James, I was like, this really happened, right? Like, this, like, it happened, mm. right? Like, I didn't. And he's like, no, no, this it really happened. What does your daughter know about everything, your oldest daughter? I think she feels sad that, like, because she likes the TV of it, like she thinks mm-hmm. it's fun for my, I mean, she didn't even that impressed by it, but she just likes <laughs> every once in a while she likes to throw off like my mama has a TV show. Right, yeah, but she's right. 14, right? Mm-hmm. I will say the 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 single best response out of all of it, <laughs> she says, Okay, so you can be home on the weekends? I was like, Yeah. She was like, So I can have sleepovers now? Aww. I was like, Yeah, she was like, Okay, well it's fine. <laughs> so so I will say like the one the one good response was like, Oh, so now now we have week. In fact, um, somebody said something to James about, oh, well, you know, obviously, because that's Easter Sunday. And James was like, oh, my God, Easter. Even, Easter in four years. Like, there, there are these funny things that we had just kind of given up as a family that we're going to be able to rediscover, hopefully. So mm-hmm. Easter and sleepovers and... I don't know how many kids can sleep over because we didn't lost that check, but you know, <laughs> like, guess what? Can you can rotate them out. Rotate them out. <laughs> Sorry, one or two can come over. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm not a civil rights case. I'm not. I don't want anybody to march on nothing. Like <laughs> I know that happens sometimes. People are like, I didn't get tenure, and therefore, no, no. Mm-hmm. I, I am actually not a cause. Please don't make me. Uh, there. Go to Flint. Go to, like this is real horrible shit happening in the world. Mm-hmm. I am a relatively well off 
way overeducated black girl who had like eight jobs and now has seven, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What I do think is not fine is that the end of the show means the end of a space where a lot of voices otherwise can't be. I do think mass media has a responsibility to put those voices there. I don't care if I'm not on air. I want those people there. What I do hope is that an outcry about Nerdland forces, encourages, emphasizes, pushes people who do have a platform to say, wait a minute, there is room, interest, and an audience for this thing. So whether or not I ever have another cable show is pretty irrelevant. But like whether or not you ever see all those like slightly quirky, rumpled, wisest person on TV, and yet, damn, that was smart people Mm. on air. Just call me up. I'll hand you my Rolodex. Please call my people. Mm. Please put them back on air. You know, please remember that it doesn't have to be like a cis heterosexual white boy talking about politics. Like you you just simply try a little tiny bit harder. Try. (laughs) That much harder to find somebody else Mm -hmm. to have the conversation. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Basic Effort. Great. (laughs) Shout out to to trying. (laughs) I'm very excited to see where you go next and what happens next. Thank you for coming by the show again. You are a joy as usual. Where can folks find you and your work and stuff? Yeah, so, you know, the main big stuff that I'm doing right now is really two projects. It's the Anna Julia Cooper Center and uh, Wake the Vote. So, um, you know, all of that is on my website, which is just melissaharrisperry.com with no hyphen. And you can follow me on Twitter at, um, at mharrisperry. Um, also at AJC Center is the center that I run. And at Wake the Vote are my 22 fabulous students. Wonderful. Thanks Thank for you. stopping by on such yep. short notice. So, we're going to take a quick break. Get some but refills popping off. We'll be back in a sec. Support for another round comes from August, a new kind of consulting company that's starting a revolution in the way organizations work, from helping leaders embrace change to creating a culture where expectations are clear and purposeful. Which brings us to a game we call Interviews from the Hell That Is Our Reality. (laughs) God. Yep. I'll ask Tracy an incredibly ridiculous job interview question that an actual business has actually used in an interview. And if I like her really stupid answer, she'll get a made-up job. Yay! (laughs) If I don't like it, she's got a drink. No, yay. All right. Still yay. You ready, Trace? Yes. A penguin walks through the door right now wearing a sombrero. Ugh, only in my dreams. <laughs> what does he say and why is he here? Okay, so he walks in and the first thing he says is, I know what you're thinking, <laughs> but it's cool. I was adopted by a Mexican family. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and he's here because we, we're hanging out later. You know what? I will allow it. Yes! You're hired. Yay! If you're passionate about revolutionizing the way companies operate and love to geek out about things like the future of work and what makes teams awesome, get in touch with August, a consulting firm for the 21st century. Learn more at aug.co slash another round. That's A-U-G dot C-O slash another round. Hey, listeners of another round. This is Jenna Weiss Berman. I don't like to speak in microphones. I like to produce podcasts. I'm one of the producers of this show. But I'm here because it's late Monday night. Heaven and Tracy have gone home. We're trying to finish this episode for Tuesday morning. And we wanted to make sure that we gave MSNBC a chance to respond to some of the specific claims that Melissa made on today's show. So we just got a statement from Mark Kornblau, who's the senior vice president over at NBC Universal. And here is what he has to say. We're proud of the diverse backgrounds of MSNBC's journalists, hosts, and analysts. We'll gladly put that up against everyone else in the news business. We're also proud that MSNBC identified Melissa as a unique voice four years ago, gave her a platform, and stuck with her. And despite her claims to the contrary, it absolutely would have continued had she not sent a destructive email. The MHP show was safe, plain and simple. It was not being canceled or even altered, and there was no consideration of that. We're surprised and sad about how this ended, but we wish her the best. 
And we did it again. Oh, my goodness. Who or what are you buying around for? Um, it occurred to me that my little sister does not know the ludicrous that I know. <laughs> mm, say more about this. I feel mm. like ludicrous has turned into more of a, like, he shows up at random award shows. <laughs> what does he do? <laughs> Wearing a really nice tuxedo. Yeah. Whereas, you know, the South really had a moment. Mm-hmm. and rap and i feel like he was a big part of it not not, not the only part <laughs> right, right right but you know and i kind he was of a fixture yeah i kind of miss more comedy in rap and ludicrous is definitely one of those people yeah you remember his song who let these hoes in my room i do <laughs> <laughs> what a sentence who did you let him in? in my room <laughs> did you let him in <laughs> And also, you made a lot of puns in his he music. He did. And he had a lot of fun music videos. Like, uh-huh. he really, I think, enjoyed the comedy of rap. Yeah. I think a lot of people still do, but just not, it doesn't feel the same playful mm-hmm. way that he did it. Yeah. Also, his hair was just it was incredible. Beautiful. Just like the most beautiful afro I've ever seen. Man, if Team Natural had been out when he was out yeah. in the streets <laughs> doing his thing. I mean, mostly they were in cornrows, but. When he let it, he out, let it out, it was a, yeah. it was an ordeal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but also, the, he's <laughs> like a big nappy ass halo. It was it, beautiful. Nappy ass halo. That's so beautiful. <laughs> but um, I I feel like people might forget that she, he's actually skilled. Yeah, he's a, it's really, a really, really good, good rapper. rapper. Mm-hmm. So I recommend you go back and listen to Chicken and Liquor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Southern Fried Intro is a good place to start. It okay. is the intro. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I miss people who are you know just. Having more fun with it. Yeah. Rappers used to have fun. Also, videos used to be fun. Yeah. Now they're all club. Oh, we went outside. It's, there's a pool. <laughs> a oh, slow motion. A darker down location. The I know. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, True. shout out to Ludacris. Shout out to Ludacris. It was a good round. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Who are you buying around for, Trace? I am buying around for rum. Ooh, yes. Is this inspired by me? Absolutely. Yes. So uh, um, if you're just joining us for some reason, uh, Heaven went to Trinidad. I'm still jealous. I mean, whatever. I'm glad she got to go. Whatever. <laughs> wow. But she brought back a bottle of El Dorado 15-year rum. I gave Stacey Marie 23 years because I... Because naturally. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what one does. <laughs> of course. Of course. And this is the first rum that I had that was not Bacardi, I think. That's like terrifying. Similar. Because I just assumed that it was all awful and terrible and tasted like bad college decisions. So I was like, <laughs> I would never. Why would I go to a bar and order a, a rum and coke when bourbon exists? Like, what do you? Bacardi what, what should make that their doing? tagline. <laughs> it tastes like bad, bad college, college decisions. decisions. <laughs> yeah. But ever since I had that first sip of that rum that you had, bro. <laughs> Tracy's getting emotional, guys. Just get a little commotional when I think about it. <laughs> it was so good. And it was it tastes like a proper whiskey. Yeah. Like it's sweet and it's a like a proper rum? Yes, but it tastes like a proper whiskey to me. Mm. Like it has I should I should clarify, it has some attributes of whiskey that I really, really like. The color for one. It just looks <laughs> badass when you're at a bar. You have this <laughs> nice. glass of dark liquor. And like it's sweet in the way that some whiskeys are, but not too sweet. I don't know. It's just it's just great. It's just perfect. I went out over the weekend and I bought my own bottle. Yes. It was not cheap, but I was like, you know what? I deserve this. Word. I deserve it. And it's it's so good. And now I know that there's good rum in the world and it's It's, it's a total game changer. Drink. It really, really is. I had the best rum and coke of my entire life. And I was like, Oh, I get it now. I get yeah. like bored of these. That's how I felt. I was like, I get it. I yeah. get it. Also the best rum punch. Ooh. I like want to email the people for the recipe. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that huge ass party with thousands of people you threw? What was the punch recipe? <laughs> Tracy, we made it. Hey, thank you to Rum for existing. Yes. Really appreciate you. Thanks to Melissa Harris Perry for stopping by in the midst of what ha- has to be just like a crazy whirlwind of mess and stress and emotions. And emotions. Yeah. Um, and thanks for stopping by on such short notice. We really yeah. appreciate it. Shout out to the Pod Squad. Pod Squad. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) I tried, guys. That was my Aaron Horde. Well, you got you another dance. So it was good. Hey, oh, oh. Our producer, Jenna Weiss Berman, (laughs) dances like Lisa Simpson. (laughs) And it's the most adorable thing I've ever seen. You know how people say dance like nobody's watching? 
Jenna truly does. She takes it to heart <laughs> and is so beautiful to watch. This podcast was produced by Eleanor Kagan with editorial oversight from Jenna Weiss-Berman with production help from Julia Furlan and Meg Kramer. Thank you to Paul Ruest at Argo Studios. Thank you to our in-house band people, performance, musicality type persons. You know how when you start saying something, you can't stop the words but from coming out? But you still commit. But it's still, I mean, I had to see it all the way through. <laughs> I do know what you mean. <laughs> Thanks to our super talented musician friends, Jean Gray. You can follow her on Twitter at Jean Greasy. And Don Will of the Almighty Tanya Morgan. You can follow him on Twitter at Don Will. That is D-O-N-W-I-L-L. Thank you to heaven for introducing me to Ron. <laughs> I really appreciate you, Tracy. I missed your face this week. Cheese is what it looks like. Look. It's great. It's beautiful. Thank you. Oh shit! The newsletter we've getting we've been getting such good feedback on the newsletter. The highest praise that I've seen. Somebody was like, "I hate newsletters, but I love it when another round's newsletter comes through." Yes, I appreciate that. So if you have not yet subscribed to our newsletter, you should do it. Right now, right very, very now, go to BuzzFeed.com slash another round slash newsletter to show up. You get fun gifs, you get cool pictures, you get stuff to read and stuff to laugh at. It's fun. Also check out our other BuzzFeed podcast, The Tell Show and Internet Explorer. Yay! Um, and if you want to reach us, hit us on the buzz at Twitter.com slash another round, Facebook slash another round, email us at another round at BuzzFeed.com and rate us on iTunes if you like the show. If you don't like it, keep your bad opinions to yourself. And we'll pray on it. Yeah. <laughs> for you, not for us. <laughs> you know that, Michael? <laughs> I was just remembering what you were saying about committing to the sentence. Uh-huh. Um, there's this quote from Michael Scott where he's like, sometimes I'll start a sentence and I have no idea where it's going. <laughs> I just hope I find it along the way. <laughs> That's how I feel every day. My life. It is me. Um, so shout out to Michael Scott. Yeah. Take your meds, drink your water, call your mom. That's not how it goes. How's it go? Drink your meds. No. <laughs> How does it go? Drink some water, take your meds, call your mom in that order? Mm-hmm. It's not take your meds, drink some water, call your mom? Does it matter? I'm worried that my brain is like failing me. I hear you. <clears throat> anyway, do all those things and also maybe try some yoga. I'm trying it. Don't like it so far. I'm going to stick with it. I've been enjoying it, honestly. Really? I think it's hard and boring. This is true. Also, <laughs> uh, spring cleaning. Get into it. Ooh. I, I just had such a good spring clean, y'all. I really need to do all that. Cheesy that cheesy shit people say about, like, you need a clean space to have a clean, like, mind. It declutters mind. your you brain. Know, it really Seriously. does declutter. It I really feel it. Really so shout out to cleaning. Cleaning. <laughs> yes. No one's ever <laughs> said cleaning that excitedly. <laughs> ever. Oh, man. Let's get out of here. Thanks for listening. Bye. So I feel really special that she was like, I choose you, Pokemon. I choose you. <laughs> we are Pokemans today. <laughs> Pokemon drinking tea. Pokemans drinking teas.